Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Scripture reading for this morning is going to be Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19, as we uh, continue the, the narrative that we began last week in the, the first paragraph of chapter 9. Uh, remember in that uh, in those opening verses, we, we read the account of Saul's conversion, where, where Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and even knocked him off his horse uh, with the, the glory of his presence and called him to repentance and called him to do service. You may even remember that, that Jesus said to go into the city and you will be told what you were to do. This morning we hear uh, that instruction. We, we hear him told what he is to do. What we hear is that he is Jesus' chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And before we hear the reading and the preaching of God, let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the ministry of the word of Jesus. Father God, we come before you humbly this morning, asking that you would indeed Speak to us words of life, that you would be in and with your word as it is read and as it is preached, and that you would cause it to, uh, to bring forth fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. Father, may it dwell in us richly, may it renew our minds, may it transform our lives, and may it conform us more and more to the image of the glory of your Son, that we might live in a manner that, that blesses your people and brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. This is the very word of God. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the reading of God's Word. Children, you may come forward to hear the children's word. So in, in what we just read, 
Jesus said that he had an important mission for Saul, right? That Jesus plans to use him to tell the Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, the good news about Jesus. Now, we already saw how the good news of Jesus is for people like that Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that man from Africa? People who aren't Jews, Jewish. They don't fit in with the rules of Judaism. But Jesus brought that man into God's family. And now Jesus is going to use Saul to make it clear to everybody that being close to God doesn't depend on anything that we do for ourselves, following a certain set of rules. God brings us close just because we trust in Jesus and what he did when he died for us and he rose again. Because Jesus is the only one who makes us acceptable to God. I want you to think about it kind of like this. The, the good news that Jesus wants Saul to tell, the good news that we can't make ourselves acceptable to God, but Jesus does, that good news is kind of like this brownie. It is deliciously rich. It's wonderful on your tongue. And it doesn't really need anything else added to it. Now, in Paul's day, Saul's day, I should say, other people were beginning to say that in order to please God, you have to trust in Jesus and follow all the rules that make someone Jewish. They said, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to do certain things if you really want God to accept you. It's like they said, well, you need the brownie for sure, but... You really need, you really need some broccoli on that brownie. <laughs> no. Now, no, 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 you tell me. Does a brownie with broccoli sound good to you? Yeah, no. Oh, a little. <laughs> I, I don't think it sounds very good myself. Now, now, Jesus... Jesus is sending Saul on a mission to tell everybody, no way. People don't have to become Jewish in order for God to accept them. Following some special rules is not what makes somebody acceptable to God. That, that isn't, if it's up to you to make yourself acceptable to God, that's not good news for anybody. You can't add something to Jesus like that. Trusting in Jesus alone is enough for anybody. That trusting in Jesus alone is that delicious good news for people like you and me. And because he doesn't make you work extra, add something to, in order to get his grace or his love, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Thanks, if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles uh, to that passage, uh, to Acts chapter 9. And as Sam was saying to the kids, this, this passage really is about Saul's commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. If, if the first paragraph was about his conversion, we, we now see his, his calling to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And the, the first thing that I really want us to see text is, is the link that Jesus goes to to make it perfectly clear that he's running the show. 
That, that, that this is his idea. He, he wants to make it perfectly clear that Saul is his chosen instrument to, to carry out his chosen plan. Taking the gospel to the Gentiles is unquestionably Jesus' idea. This is, what, this is what Jesus has in store for his church. Now we can sometimes wonder what, what God would have us do with our lives, right? You, you've been there, right? You, you've, you've struggled to, to figure out what exactly it is that, that you should do in a given situation. Something that we often struggle with when we were younger. I, I remember that I, I struggled with this question for a long time. I was, I was probably 10 or 12 the first time that someone told me I was going to be a pastor just like my dad. I didn't much care for that. <laughs> I didn't think it was, was true. And, and in fact, I, I, I adamantly denied that that was ever going to happen. I had other ideas. I was going to be a professional golfer. I was pretty sure. And when I realized that probably wasn't going to work out, I thought, well, maybe I'm going to be a, a professor. That, that seems to, to work well uh, with, with what I enjoy. I'll, I'll be a philosophy professor, maybe even at my alma mater, maybe even at, at Covenant College. That's what I, I thought I was going to do. But, but even if that wasn't it, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be a pastor. In fact, even when I went to seminary, I wasn't going there to train to be a pastor. I told the, uh, the president of the school when I got there, I said, you know, I don't really need to be on the ordination track because I'm not, I'm not here uh, to go into that type of work. And honestly, there are still times today when I wonder, did I make the right choice? Did I, did I do what I was supposed to, to do? We've all been there. We've all had that, that, that struggle. I'm sure most of you could tell a similar story about sort of struggling to figure out what it is exactly that God would have you to do. And, and, and while general callings are, are hard, specific callings are, are even harder. Maybe you know, uh, you know, once I figured out I was supposed to be a, a pastor, I, I still had to figure out what church am I supposed to go to. Coming out of seminary, I talked to churches in Florida and in Alabama and uh, Mississippi and uh, North Carolina. And you have to decide which one of these churches am I supposed to go to? How do you decide what it is that God is calling you to do? It's a question that we, we struggle with. And, and we actually see Saul struggle with something of the, the, the details of his calling, even in the book of Acts. Saul, who is later called Paul, we'll, we'll see him later trying to decide whether he's supposed to go east or west. Is he supposed to go, go east into Asia, or is he supposed to take the gospel west into Europe? But one thing that Paul never had to question was the core of his mission. Paul never had to, to wonder what he was supposed to do as a servant of Jesus Christ. He had been told, and he had been told in no uncertain terms that he was Jesus' chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was made clear here at the very beginning. Jesus put it beyond doubt that this is what he was calling Saul to do. And I mean, just notice all the ways that he does this. And the, the, the passage is full of, we actually saw part of it in the, the previous paragraph. First, Jesus 
stops Saul on the road to Damascus. That, that is an amazing encounter. That is, that is not normal. This is not the way that we see conversion happen most of the time in the New Testament. This is extraordinary. Jesus shows up in person uh, to, to stop Saul on the, the road to Damascus. He's on the way. Except for it's his way, not Jesus' way. He's on the way to do what he thinks is right. He's on the, the way to arrest Christians and to, to bring them to Jerusalem bound. And Jesus meets him on the road in, in blinding light and speaks to him, telling him that, that he is persecuting his Lord and that he needs to repent and that he needs to go in to Damascus, not to arrest Christians, but to wait, await further Instructions and, and there, once Saul is in Damascus, once he is there, and he's blinded and he's, he's fasting and he's, and he's pondering all that has happened, the Lord then goes to another man named Ananias, a man who lived there in Damascus, a man who was a disciple. We, we notice that when, when Jesus shows up to talk to, to Ananias, Ananias knows who he is. He says, Here I am, Lord. He's not like Saul on the road saying, Who are you? He says, I know you, Lord. You're my, you're my Lord. What is it that you would have me to do? I am ready. I am your disciple. And Jesus gives him very specific instructions. You were to go to this house on this street, and you were to talk to this man. And, and he had to be that there because Ananias wasn't so sure after he heard the, the details. He's like, Are you, did I hear you right? You know, Saul, I, I heard a lot about this guy. He does bad things to your people. Are you sure that this is what you want me to do? And Jesus says, no, this is what you're to do. Go. And of course, Ananias obeys. He, he goes. But, but he's assured that, that the man he's going to is not still the man he heard about. Because Saul, too, has met Jesus on the road. But more than that, Saul himself has seen a vision. In his time in Damascus, as he is, as he is there pondering and, and praying, Jesus gives him a vision as well, a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him <coughs> to lay his hands on him. Well, he might regain his sight and give him the instructions he needs to, to know what it is that Jesus would have him to do. And then, of course, finally, the whole thing is confirmed. By the miracle. We, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. In this first generation, as, as Je, uh, Jesus is laying the foundation of his church, he, he continues to, uh, to, to uh, uh, validate his word publicly through, through signs and through wonders. And he does that here, finally, as, as Saul is restored to sight. Something like scales falling from his eyes. His sight is restored. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it, and it confirms yet again that this is... Jesus, who was executing the plan. This is Jesus who was calling Saul to this particular mission. It is beyond clear that Jesus is running the show. Jesus is in charge. This is his plan. And his plan is that Saul take the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, Saul never had to wonder. And really, others never had to wonder. We, we would love that kind of clarity. I, I know we would, it's, but it's not normal. This is, this is not the way that we normally discern God's calling. As, as we think about what it is that God would have us to do, we, we consider our options. We consider the opportunities that He has given to us. We consider our, our passions and our, and our gifting. And, and we, we think about the resources that He has placed at our disposal. And we, we weigh all of that in the light of God's Word. And we discern the, the way that we 
we should walk to the praise of the glory of our King. So we're, we're always trying to figure it out. We're, we're praying for wisdom. We're praying for guidance. We're, we're taking in the counsel of our, of our fellow believers. But there's none of that here. There's no subjective ambiguity. Jesus puts it beyond doubt. This is the plan. And of course that raises a question. If this is not normal, if this is not how we normally discern God's will, this is not what we should expect work weighing our options. Well, then the question is why? Why does God do it here? Why does Jesus go to such lengths to make Paul's calling explicit in this situation? And I want to suggest to you that, that Saul's calling requires this kind of explicit clarification because taking the gospel to the Gentiles would have been both unthinkable and absolutely essential. It would have been unthinkable to, to most first century Jews that, that, the gen, that the gospel was going to be taken to the Gentiles as Gentiles. Sam mentioned the Ethiopian eunuch. The, the gospel was already gone to those who were not Jews, but he was a God for He was someone who, who sort of respected the, the customs of the Jews. But now Saul is being called to, to take the gospel to Gentiles as Gentiles. And that would have been hard for a first century Jew to understand. It would have been hard for him to believe. He, he probably would have been something like Ananias talking back to God. Are you sure? Are you sure that this is what you want us to do? But think about that for a second. It, why was it unthinkable? And, and, and how do we know that it was unthinkable? We, we know that it was unthinkable because we've actually already seen it in the book of Acts. Jesus had, had clearly told the apostles at the very beginning that you are going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, yes. In Judea, yes. But, but also in Samaria, to the end of the earth. And yet, in the first chapters of, of Acts, we, we don't see them going much beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem. In fact, the, the, the disciples don't take the gospel beyond Jerusalem until they are scattered by persecution. <coughs> they are actually forced to flee from Jerusalem. It's only as they are forced to flee that they take the gospel with them into the surrounding areas. And even then, it's, it's the disciples and not the apostles. The apostles, for the most part, stay in Jerusalem. Why? Why did they resist what Jesus had made so, so clear? Because the Jews knew that Israel, that, that they were the people of God. They were his chosen people. They were his holy nation. They knew that Jesus was, his, was their Messiah, that he had come to save them. And therefore, that God had intended that all, uh, God had always intended to save all nations through Abraham, wasn't in the forefront of the thing. It had been stated from the very beginning, even as far back as, as Genesis 12, when, when God called Abraham, so He said, "I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing. I'm going to bless you that all the families of the earth might be blessed through you." God didn't hide it. It was it was there from the very beginning. It was clear that all the families of the earth were going to be blessed through Abraham. And we see this come up again and again in the, in the prophets. We saw it uh, over the Advent season. We looked at the uh, servant songs as, as God said to the servant, Hey, it's too small a thing that you should be a Savior only for Israel. You will be a Savior of all nations. You will bring light to the ends of the earth. It was, it was there, but the Jews didn't see it, mostly because their people 
like us. They're, they're people who, who tend to see what they expect to see. They're people who have blind spots and who, who hear what they expect to hear. And that is why Jesus had to, had to be so clear. It's why he had to be so explicit. It's why he had to, to state in no uncertain terms that it was his idea for Saul to take the gospel before the Gentiles. In fact, we'll see that, that Saul's calling is not the only time that, that Jesus goes to great lengths to make this point. In the, the next chapters, chapters 10 and 11, we're going to return to the story of Peter. We're going to find that, that, that the same thing happens with Peter. Peter, too, is, is called explicitly to open the, the doors of the church to the, the Gentiles for proclaiming the good news of, of Jesus Christ to one Cornelius. But even though it had been made so clear, we, we read in the rest of the book of Acts, and we see it come up again and again in the, the epistles, that, that even though it, it was clearly stated, it wasn't always heard, that there was, there was a group in the church known as Judaizers who were doing exactly what Sam was talking about with the kids. They were saying, yes, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the, the Savior. But if you want to take part in his redemption, you have to become a Jew. You have to become a Jew by submitting to our ceremonial laws. Jesus can save you, but only if you get circumcised. Jesus can save you, but only if you keep the Sabbaths and the, the new moons and the, the festivals. Jesus can save you, but only if you eat kosher. Jesus can save you, but only if you become a Jew. And this is why Jesus, Jesus knew that, that this was the default, that this was the, the assumption of uh, his people. And so he went to great lengths to make it perfectly clear that no, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And it's going to the Gentiles as Gentiles. But of course, just the fact that it was unthinkable, it doesn't explain everything. Because yeah, it was hard for them to understand, but why was it so important for them to understand? Why was it so important that they get this particular there were other points of, of doctrine that it was going to take the church a long time to work out, that, that Jesus didn't show up on, on some road and that ancient years would say, hey, let me, let me explain to you the trend. Well, this, is, this is particular. Why does he do it? Why does he do it with this particular doctrine? Why was it so important that they learned this particular lesson? And again, I want to suggest to you that, that it was vital that they learned this lesson because this lesson is vital. This idea of the inclusion of the Gentiles is at the very heart of the gospel. If you do not have the inclusion of the Gentiles, you actually don't have the gospel. Jesus goes to such lengths to show that he wants the gospel to go to the Gentiles because it is in that reality that we see the true nature of this gospel that is proclaimed in Jesus' name. The good news of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, is only true if the gospel is for the Gentiles too. Think about it. If the, if the Gentiles are not included, if, if salvation is not for them, then there is no gospel of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through, through faith alone. If the gospel is not for the, the Gentiles, if you have to be a Jew to be saved, then there's something you must do to 
yourself for grace. It's not saying that you, you earn it, per se, but you, you still have to qualify yourself. You have to put yourself in a position where you can receive the, the grace of God. There's something you must do, and that is contrary to the very heart of the gospel. We, we see this uh, maybe most clearly in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Turn there with me. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's a familiar text to, to most of us, but here Paul is speaking to a, a church that had been influenced by these Judaizers. Paul had, had proclaimed to them the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through, through faith alone. And they had received that gospel with, with great joy. But then these other teachers came along and said, yes, Jesus is great, but you've got to be a Jew too. And he had it brought great confusion to this church in Galatia. And so Paul, writing to them, is, is emphasizing the, the gospel, not the gospel of man, but the gospel that had been delivered to him by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And he, and he says, beginning in verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom from what? Not, not freedom to do whatever you want, but freedom from having to qualify yourself in the grace of God. Freedom from the law. Freedom from the burden of having to put yourself in a position to receive God's grace. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what is the yoke? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, circumcision, sort of the, 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 the most visible sign of the Old Testament ceremonial law, the thing that set, most set you apart as a Jew, he says, if you accept that, if you accept circumcision, if you submit again to the, the ceremonial law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you think you have to qualify yourself for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you actually cut yourself off from that gospel. Because I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to obey the whole law. If you want to qualify yourself for salvation, go for it. But you have to qualify yourself for salvation. It's not just submitting to some ceremonial law. If you, if you want to qualify yourself for salvation, then you have to fully qualify yourself. You are obligated to keep the whole law. It's, it's referring back to what he had said earlier in, in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. If you want to qualify yourself for God's grace, then you have to qualify yourself for God's grace. And the only way to do that is to be perfect, even as Jesus was perfect. The only way to do that is to obey the law perfectly, because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. That's why he goes on to say, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the one who does them shall live by them. But none of us does them. And so if you think there's something you must do, if you think being circumcised or, or eating the, uh, according to the, the food laws or, or, or obeying certain days, if you think the ceremonial law is somehow going to qualify you for God's grace, then you are under the whole law. But Christ came to rescue you from that. You're no longer under the law. You're no longer under an obligation to, to, to establish your own righteousness before God. The gospel is that there is now a righteousness apart from works of the law. 
The gospel is that, that, that it is Jesus alone who qualifies us for an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God. It is in Christ alone, by grace alone. And the only thing that we must do is receive the gift. That's faith. Faith is, is the, the empty hands that receive the gift of God, offering nothing in return. Faith is putting yourself wholly upon His mercy and His grace. Nothing in your hands you bring. Simply to His cross you cling. That is the very heart of the gospel. And if that gospel is true, then it means that, that being Jew or Gentile makes no difference. And, and notice that. Notice that. When, uh, back in, in uh, I had to turn to Galatians, but now back in Acts, think about how uh, Paul's calling is articulated. He is to take the gospel to the Gentiles, but he's also to take it before kings and before the children of Israel. That, that always struck me as odd. Here's Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, and yet he's also going to take the gospel to the kings and to the children of Israel. What's going on there? Why is that specified? It's specified because Jesus doesn't want us to, to sort of overcorrect and fall into this belief that, well, the gospel is now for Gentiles and not for Jews. He says that's not it. It's whether you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. The gospel is for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. And it includes kings so we might know that it is not a certain socioeconomic segment of the society. It is for the rich and for the poor. It is for slave and free. Man or woman, it does not matter. What matters, Paul says here in Galatians 5, is faith. Yes, it's a faith that expresses itself in love. It's a, it's a faith that works itself out in, in obedience. But it's not the obedience that qualifies you. That obedience flows out of the faith. And the faith is what receives the grace of God. This is the very heart of the gospel. That is why Jesus had to go to such lengths to say, listen, it is my idea that Saul take the gospel to the Gentiles. It is my idea that they be called to faith in my name without becoming Jews. Jew or Gentile, man or woman, slave or free, rich or poor, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you call upon His name as the resurrected Lord, you will be saved. There is nothing that you must do to qualify yourself for the gospel. There's nothing that you can require anyone else to do to, to, to qualify themselves for the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that salvation is available in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And we need to, we need to remember that in our Day. I don't think there's many people today who think that you, you need to submit to the, uh, the Jewish ceremonial law in order to qualify yourself for grace, in order to, to qualify yourself for, for salvation. That, that ship has kind of sailed culturally. But in the evangelical church today, there are those things that we look to and we think, okay, if you're really a Christian, you'll do this. And if you don't do this, I have questions about whether or not you are really in Christ. There are, there are certain things that we think qualify a person for salvation. 
in Jesus Christ. I, I can still remember uh, the, 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 the sort of progression where I, I began to learn that a Christian could be a Democrat. <laughs> I don't think I was ever told, you know, Christians are Republicans. I don't, I don't think I was ever told that, but I thought it. And then I met Christians who, who didn't fit that political role. And I remember struggling. Can a, can a Christian really do that? Can a Christian really not be a Republican? Can a, can a Christian really be a Democrat? And in my mind, there was there was something that I was wondering: Is this what qualifies a person? Is this the cultural qualification that allows a person to receive the grace of Jesus Christ? We've seen other things more recently in our culture. Some who, who think, well, if how you respond to a certain virus determines whether or not you are truly one of Jesus' children. You know, it, really? Really? We're, we're going we're gonna to put those kind of qualifiers on whether you can receive God's grace or not? Do you have to believe in a, in a certain type of human government? If you're a socialist, does that disqualify you? It may not be wise economically. I'm sort of in that camp. But, but really? <clears throat> or, or maybe it's, it's more socioeconomic. You know, if you are um, you know, sort of a, a person who, who just sort of like, floats through, through life doing the bare minimum, uh, you know, some might look at you and say, hey, listen, you know, if you're really a Christian, you, you, you need to... You know, exercise your gifts and you need to contribute to the common good. And there may be others on the other side who are, who are looking exactly the opposite way and say, hey, if you're, if you're caught up in the rat race, I'm not so sure you're a Christian. We don't think, we don't think that these things are, are tied to the gospel. Our theology is better than that. But in our gut, we sometimes wonder if someone is like that, if someone has those cultural markers, we wonder, can they really be a Christian? I want to suggest to you that that is contrary to the very heart of the gospel. There is nothing that we must do to qualify ourselves for God's grace. Salvation is in Christ alone. It is God's gracious gift, and it is received by faith alone. That was the significance of Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is a truth that we need to cling to today. We can, we can talk about what it looks like to live wisely in our culture. I'm not opposed to, to such questions. But if we begin to make disagreements about some of those cultural issues, you know, if that's the litmus test of, of whether we believe someone is a Christian or not, we have compromised the heart of God. The gospel is salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's why the gospel could go to the Gentiles as Gentiles. And that's why the gospel could also be for the Jews as Jews. It's why the gospel could be for kings, and it's why the gospel could be for slaves. It's why the gospel was for anyone and everyone. Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the heart of the gospel. It's the, it's the gospel that Jesus himself is teaching to his church. 
but he calls Saul to be his chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is why Saul's call is such good news for us. Because if the gospel can go to the Gentiles, then the gospel is for any and for all. You don't have to qualify. The only fitness he requires is that you know your need of him. And because that is the gospel, because it is a gospel of salvation for any and for all by grace through faith in Christ alone, that is why we call it. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for Saul's call to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Father, we pray that we would not compromise that gospel by adding to it, but that we would recognize, Father, that the gospel is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Oh, may we cling to this gospel and live out of it every day. The praise of your glory. In the name of Jesus' name. Amen.